Why do people like it? Not everybody does like it. It's an acquired taste. People that like the funk love it. People that don't love the funk would rather have a fresh piece of meat. Um, so eating is a primal experience. It's visceral. It's, and it's also binary. You, you either love something or you don't. I mean, when you go out to eat, you're not going to a restaurant to say, mm, I hope I like this. That's probably not why you're going out to eat. Um, you're going out because you know there's something that is interesting to you on the menu. And uh, that's why you're going to go order it uh, for wherever. It's waiting on fries that you don't get it. You don't. What do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries. But all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed and then you're it's like, ready to go. I forgot to fire the fries. I just always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in. And I was like, hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's going to be two more minutes. Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there in the service that they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries. <laughs> Do you enjoy cold, delicious beers? Check out Salute Brewing Company, brewers of the one and only Juice Bomb Northeastern IPA and other world-class ales and lagers. Visit their Insta at Sloop Brewing Co. or their website, sloopbrewing.com. And if you're in the area, check them out at Smokehouse Mamaronek, 320 Mamaronek Avenue, Mamaronek, New York, 10543. Let's go. <laughs> I like That's that. Great. I like that. You know, you guys, <laughs> you guys are something. How was the excitement? Was it there? Your excitement was I'm there. excited. I, I really hope you guys took some part in gambling over last week here, and I hope that you got your boxes in, and I hope that your boxes hit and you made a little bit of money. Was I, that the case? I did none of those things. None of my boxes hit. I didn't buy any boxes. I won no money. I barely even watched the game. Jesus. I didn't buy any boxes, and... I definitely did not make any money. <laughs> Jesus. What happened? How did you not make money? Well, to relive the worst week I've had professionally, we had a nice small little kitchen fire early Sunday morning that basically shut us down for Super Bowl Sunday. Basically, you're like literally. Not literally. A literal kitchen fire broke out in your establishment. Yes. How did that happen? I don't know. Huh. So... I mean, I know how it happened. That's that's what I mean. Like, literally, how did that happen? I mean, the smoker caught on fire. Oh Overnight. We had six briskets in there as normal operation. So you're prepping for Super Bowl. So we were working non, We're there. working nonstop, and I guess it was too much grease or whatever. And do you think it happened that quickly? Yeah. Just, yeah, it, it, yeah, most it happens fast. Quickly. When that happens, it happens fast. Jeez, yeah. you know, I would think it's crazy too when I would go in the back of your kitchen and I'd see the door open up and there's just like flames everywhere on the inside of that smoker occasionally. Well, this was like 12 times that. I, mean, I got I got the call actually. Mike was there and I had to get the, I did the phone call. It's literally the worst falling phone asleep call possible. and Mike called me and yeah, it was it was it's it sucked. Uh that phone call comes from Mike. Oh, okay. Did <laughs> Is, well, I can imagine the I fire. I said Mike called me. I, I, I understand that. Yeah. But I'm, and imagine you imagine Mike called. I heard the trucks were already there. I mean, this all happened in like a 30-minute window. The fire department was there in 90 seconds. That's pretty good. It all that happened pretty, pretty quick. Good. So relatively is not that much damage. Like right. could have been way worse. It was just a smoker. The unfortunate part is that the sprinkler system went off. So that's... You know, that was the big holdup. Had we just got the sprinkler, had we just got the smoker fire out, and the you sprinklers know, didn't go off, it probably would have been very The sprinkler and the fire system didn't go off. You know, we could have had a, a quicker, you know, check, make sure everything was good to go and quicker turnaround. But since it went off, everything has to get replaced. 
So like, you can't even be mad at that, also though. Like you oh, no, want I the can sprinkler, be mad. No, for sure. I'm you mad. want the sprinkler yeah. go off though. Like thank God. No, the I'm sprinkler yeah, works. glad that it worked. But we can be mad that we had a fire. Yeah, because you know we lost like an entire week. Yeah, not to mention Super Bowl Sunday, like, which is our open since last we Saturday. Yeah, you know, we haven't been. We closed Sunday morning. Lost Super Bowl Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday. We're still closed. And so here's the thing too, right? You were selling. Uh, Unlimited taps, meaning drinks and apps, food at the bar during the Super Bowl also for XX amount per ticket. And now all those people, how many people went up to the front door trying to get in and saw like a note on the door? It was was bad. We got got posted. We were sold out for the night. So anybody that was walking in randomly wasn't going to get in anyway. So, you know, that they got the same result except with a different reason why. Yeah. But uh, we had to call everybody that bought a ticket and basically tell them, like, hey, this super cool Super Bowl party that we were going to have tonight, we're not because we're not open anymore. So that was depressing. And then, you know, we obviously have to refund everybody. And we had, you know, a bunch of orders, pre-orders for the Super Bowl that we were sending to people that we also had to call and cancel and or facilitate you know, another way to do it. I will, I will say we're lucky enough to be in a community of restaurants that helped each other out because, um, we were able to get everybody that ordered wings from us, got wings, the neighboring restaurants, you know, let us kind of commandeer their, their kitchens or part of their kitchens and operate out of there and direct our customers to that, to there. So we could at least fulfill some of the orders. So it's, it's really nice to see that sense of community in, in our little restaurant neighborhood. Both in Mamaroneck and in New Rochelle. Give any little shout-outs to say thank you to certain people. Yeah, for sure. So Moonlight helped us out. Moonlight on the Ave. Sal's Pizza helped us out. And they're they're busy enough by themselves. So for them to take any time to help us out at all was big. Um, You know, we called the Wooden Spoon in New Rochelle. I called Nick, and they fulfilled some of the orders. We even – he didn't have delivery. So there were some, like, if we couldn't fill a pulled pork order, I called Nick, and he had some pulled pork. So – they had the customer buy the pill pork for him, and I sent our driver to go pick it up and deliver. So it was a lot of that kind of, that great. Out. Yeah, you know, that I nice. became kind of an administrator trying to get all that done. Um, but it definitely went from a what would be a super high revenue fun day to a really stressful. Just kind of get by day. Just kind of get through the day and then come in on Monday and figure out the rest of the, the mess, which is it's been a long week. But this is like this is what we sign up for, right? We come into this. <laughs> no, you don't sign up, sign up to have kitchen fires. It, no. it, you sign up for it inadvertently. That like we're literally constantly just putting up, putting out fires in the restaurant and and bar business, right? There's always like some new issue. We're that putting occurs. out like figurative hypo, fires, hypothetical fires, yeah. or exactly. figurative this, fires. In your case, it was a literal this is a one. Literal this time. fire. You just hope you never have to deal with yeah. a literal fire. But these are the things too, where like owners need to kind of focus on the fact that shit could go wrong at any given point and you have to kind of be prepared for it. Like you just had to refund all of those tickets that you sold. Thank God you're good with your money and you're not necessarily an owner. Not that to just mention took that the $25,000 tab we're up to so far for the rebuild. So yeah, in- insane, right? Um, you weren't the only one with football problems in Super Bowl, though. Uh, my Sunday night bar, my grandfather always says this repeatedly and I kind of take it. I, I, I take it hard here. He goes, measure twice and cut once. And what happened was our hood was mismeasured and ordered, and the kitchen's been out for like the last two and a half, three weeks. 
because they had to get a new hood shipped after remeasuring everything again. So this happened during Super Bowl. The kitchen was still not operational. Um, Good thing the guys were on top of things, though, and they wound up catering a whole bunch of food in for everybody that was there to watch the game. We had a packed house. We weren't selling any food. It was just, hey, go feed yourselves while you're having drinks here at the bar. I mean, that's good that they were able to do that so you didn't have a bunch of hungry, I wish maybe I was disgruntled able. people sitting at your bar. I wish I was able to do that. Totally. Yeah, I, yeah it's, I guess so full, full shutdown from who actually shut down the building just? I mean, the fire marshal, we, I'm guessing. We did, I guess, and also the fire department and okay. also the building department and also the health department. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, everybody – because when that happens, you have to get in there and make sure that Everything it's is safe still working for the general public. Yeah. So, you know, once it goes, once it goes to that level, because we can't. Op- once the sprinkler system goes off, you can't like let people back in because you, now you don't have a sprinkler system. You know, the, everything has to get reset and et cetera. And the you know health department has to come back in and make sure it's clean and we don't have like debris. You know, aware around where it shouldn't be. It's it's a big mess. It's terrible. Do you have maybe some words for owners that maybe should be putting away XX amount into an emergency I mean, you sh- fund you or something? You should always have a bag fund somewhere. Like, you mean, like, money available? Are you taking X, X percent of your weekly, <laughs> quote-unquote, cash sheet? Yeah, it's coming out of the ca- cash flow. Okay. It's like, whatever, that's what cash... You should have cash flow built up to cover emergencies, something like that that happens. Hopefully it's not a fire. It could be anything. Yeah. You're, you're, honestly, it, your fridges could go down and you could end up you know, throwing out a bunch of inventory, which is well, insurance covers that, though. No, I mean it. Hopefully, it does, and hopefully, you know, it does for us. You don't know what they're going to come back and say. You know, we'll cover this, we'll cover that. You have a deductible, but that's also not tomorrow. Yeah, you know. So if you got to get this stuff fixed, you got to pay these guys to come in and get your back open, and then you, you know, we got to wait for the insurance company to pay you back. So if you don't have that. If you don't have a, a little cash flow for emergencies, then you, uh, you could be screwed. You could be screwed. We we have an interesting guest coming in today, huh? Yes, we do. Speaking about things in the fridge. Well, that was a good time. I was wondering where you can go from there. I had no idea. Yeah. He said we could be screwed. We have a guest. Yeah, that's, we have a guest. That's, that's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little weird. We have a we have one. We have a we're going on the vendor side today. Yes. Hey. All right. So we have Austin from New York Prime Beef. Prime Beef. New York Prime Beef, not briefs. Yeah, no. His, his beefs are prime. His briefs are prime, though. We're going to come in and we're going to talk meat. We're going to get really into it. He knows what's going on. Austin is a very knowledgeable meat salesman. He's one of the better vendors. He gave me some space this week, aside from other vendors who decided to come in and try to sell me beer for this weekend. Walked into a, a rebuilding restaurant. I was like, you need a beer for this weekend? I'll That's so insensitive. The, kick you in the face. Yeah. And then we got a good Yelp a little bit later, and uh, we got a nice voicemail that was called in of uh, a, almost a manager gripe, if you will. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Speaking of bad vendors, like this beer rep guy that you know clearly couldn't read the situation, I got an interesting email slash phone call from a Grubhub representative that wanted to offer me the enticing new offers for new Grubhub partners. Well, that's Are, cool. Are are you going to become a new Grubhub partner? Well, I'm I'm enticed because I am a Grubhub partner, mm. and I'm wondering what these new guys are getting, and also <laughs> why that I'm not getting, and that I would like, and also why they can't do a little research before they start cold calling to see that your name and number is already in the yeah, database, and not calling people that are already 
Like that's just that's just it's lazy. That's just bad business. I have two remarks that maybe could potentially have made this happen, right? You're now going into a new smokehouse location across the street in North Ave. No, but they specifically asked about our current location. Oh, okay. What's and your other what's your other My other one is if you're like anywhere near disorganized in the back end of a CRM, uh, it is ridiculous to keep up with how many clients that you can have in your CRM at some point. Where if you're not logging your notes and who you've talked to and what they're doing and what CRM for people listening at home is it's the uh, customer whatever the hell it is through the computer <laughs> that I'm really convinced you know exactly what a, you're talking about. I've I've used I've used Zoho CRM. Listen, I've she's got the, the calendar app. She's got the calendar app. She's like schedule a phone with me. Click on this button and we'll have a talk. All I'm saying is if she has a cell phone and she's going to type your number into that cell phone, it should already pop up as yeah, like, like a grub hub check first. But go on, Jay. Keep arguing for the side of bad sales vendors. I, I'm just saying, like, I had 150, See, 200 clients into a CRM I was using and working with. And at some point, if you're not filtering them into the right boxes, like you should maybe be. You go, did I talk to this guy already yet? And your conversation could have been a fantastic one, but you've had 100 conversations since then. So you're literally saying that there's no way for you to check up and see if you have spoken to this guy other than looking in your CRM that you're not properly updating? Yeah, if you're not properly updating. Okay, so that that's just what sounds I'm saying, lazy. Like, that might be happening. That just sounds lazy. Lazy. Lazy or extremely unorganized. And it annoys you the call crap it. out of me. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, like, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, we've been a partner for a while now. You don't even know. Uh, CRM, Customer Relationship Management. So is Thanks. that just a fancy name for a database? Yes. Thanks, okay. Google. Thanks, Google. <laughs> Jay likes to use big fancy words, regardless of if he knows their meaning. Accurate. Brought See? to you by Google. Check out their website, google.com. Let's talk about some good stuff and good meat. Oh. Things we love to eat. Well, I'm on, a vegetable. I'm on a vegetable kick after next week, but let's see. Austin. I just you watched you eat a bagel and cheese. I just watched you do that. That was like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> it was a bagel. It was a bagel. Anyways, butter. we have Austin in here today from New York Prime Beef. Hey. Going to talk about some meats. Take us to meat school. Hi, everybody. I work for a company called Vista Food Exchange, and we are a national trading company that specializes in the sourcing, sale, and distribution of perishable commodities. Hey. In and layman's terms, what do you mean? We buy and sell trailer loads of commodity product. Meat, the, which is meat. Which is not appropriate for restaurants because nobody wants 40,000 pounds of uh, chicken drumsticks in their cooler. Shit. Depends on your operation, but maybe you do. How, how much does <laughs> candlelight go through pounds. Super Bowl? I don't know. I don't, to I don't to know. put I it in perspective, a, uh, a case of chicken is 40 pounds. Right. So okay. Thousand. Yeah, it's a lot of chickens. It's a lot of chicken. Okay, so they, they buy and sell... Perishable commodities, and that's not just chicken. That could be uh, milk, primar- eggs. Pri- no, primarily protein. Okay, so meat for the most part. Correct. So New York Prime Beef is? New York Prime Beef is our flagship retail brand, and that is custom cut-to-order dry-aged prime beef that you can contact us, and we'll cut any steak you want out of our dry-age inventory and ship it to anywhere you want in the U.S., uh, fresh, not frozen, uh, priority overnight via FedEx. So you said aged. Dry-aged. Now, we see this all the time out in restaurants. This dry-aged piece of meat costs way more than all these other pieces of meats. Like, what makes a, a dry-aged piece of meat so much better? So, I well, first off, let me – I'll answer your questions in, in, in that order, okay? So, first off, 
what is dryage meat. So dryage meat is when we're taking a subprimal. So that could be uh, varying cuts of the primal rib. So a 109 is a standard rib roast, for example, or a standing rib roast rather. And uh, that is something that we'll put into a commercial dry aging room, and we will let that age for an extended period of time. Um, most people tend to gravitate towards a 28 to 30 day age. I like funk, so I would rather have double that. Um, there's three main variables that you control when you dry age, and that is temperature, airflow, and humidity. And that's where people can manipulate those variables to, to create a flavor profile that's unique to their product in their room. The reason why it's so expensive is because you're not going to put garbage into that room. So we only will put for our flagship brand, prime beef, USDA certified prime, um, that we will then dry age. Now, as a result of that, when it's dry aging, you are allowing water content to leave that subprimal. So as a result of that, it's shrinking down. So if you put a 25 pound piece of meat in there, it's not going to leave that room 25 pounds. So once you trim off all that age, which is inedible and not palatable, and it will be extremely bitter and not able to be chewed, um, you're, again, dwindling that weight down. So that cost goes up. That's your, you know, your loss, your yield loss. Um, that's why it's more expensive. Um, and your third question, I cannot remember what that, it was. That, that actually makes a lot of sense, I guess, then, too. But is in that aging process, is it essentially just... I guess, molding to the outside of the meat, and that's what's getting sliced off? Uh, so good bacterial growth is is positive because it's allowing enzymes to break down the, the muscle of the meat, which allows it to be uh, more tender, um, which, again, by taking that water content out, you're also enhancing the, the tenderness of that product and flavor profile. So it's a stronger, more pronounced flavor than a standard uh, fresh piece of meat. So, too, you, you say... Oh, and that was what your last question was. Sorry to interject. You asked, oh, why do people like it? Not everybody does like it. It's an acquired taste. People that like the funk love it. People that don't love the funk would rather have a fresh piece of meat. Um, so eating is a primal experience. It's visceral. It's, and it's also binary. You, you either love something or you don't. I mean, when you go out to eat, you're not going to a restaurant to say, mm, I hope I like this. That's probably not why you're going out to eat. Um, you're going out because you know there's something that is interesting to you on the menu, and uh, that's why you're going to go order it uh, for wherever, wherever you decide to dine. Um, so at the end of the day, like, you, you go out of your way to eat the things that you like. So, um, so that, that funk, though, that you, you referenced a few times, though, like, what is, how do you explain that funk? What is, what is that funk? I think it's probably kind of hard to explain unless you've the chef, actually yeah. tasted it. But when you get something that's really, really dry aged, like the 90 to 100 day things, it can be a little bit like, not even a little bit. It is kind of funky, like what he said. Like sometimes people compare it to like blue cheese or something like okay. really pungent like that. So if you get like a, like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a washed rind French cheese that's really strong and you let that sit for a while, it gets almost ammoniated. Like that really pungent. Uh, intense flavor profile. Like you can achieve that with, with beef as well. Um, sometimes you can achieve that just by letting it age for an extremely long period of time. And then other times if you were to decrease airflow or just stack meat closer together so there's less airflow around those subprimals, you will probably achieve that funkier flavor profile in a shorter period of time. Um, Hence 28 Days is that what's happening then? When well, I don't in, think they're letting it get that funky at twenty eight days, right? No, twenty eight to thirty. The only way that I could conceivably get 
something to taste that funky in 30 days is if I could let something wet age in advance and then I could put it in the drying room, but then you're, if you do that incorrectly, then you've ruined that piece of meat. There's so many crazy key terms. My head's going to explode. And wet aging is... Wet aging is where you cryovac uh, a, a subprimal bone Wait, in. cryovac is. Cryovac. <laughs> cryovac <laughs> is when you seal something in a vacuum seal bag. Airtight. Yeah. Okay. Airtight. And uh, you allow it to sit in its juices and age. Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I feel like there's probably a lot more chance for maybe not good bacterial growth when you do it that way. Yeah. Because then, again, back to the where are you getting, where are you getting the meat from? So if you have meat that's already sitting in juices for a while and it's purging in the bag is a, is a term, which I know you're familiar with that, um, you run the risk of that meat potentially getting sour. Some people would uh, classify that flavor profile as very uh, mineral, um, almost metallic. Okay. And uh, the, I personally think that uh, I more often than not always enjoy dry age. The wet age is, is hit or miss for me. Now the and you were saying that to achieve um, s- something here being dry aged, you are essentially controlling the temperature, the airflow, and the, the humidity Correct. of an area. So any one of these variable changes can create a whole different end product result. Hundred percent. Is there a f- is there like a sp- specific formula that you kind of go to every time for the most part where you're like, this yields the best result in our opinion. Mm, So I, I would say that you, we have a formula that we implement. um, So it would be proprietary to us as would anybody else's dry room be proprietary to them. So what he's saying Um, is these are business secrets that he's not going to reveal. What I'm saying, well, what, what, but basically (laughs) it's, it's all about getting something that works for, for you. Um, at the end of the day, like if, if your customers are pleased with more of a clean flavor profile, something that's not as blue cheesy, then, then if your customers are happy, don't go changing it. Um, that, that's something you have, it's trial and error at the end of the day. So would adding more humidity and making less airflow make something kind of seem more funky? You'd run the risk of having intense bacterial growth at a faster rate which could cause your meat to spoil. Okay. So there's fast. crazy variables in there and any single one of those, the yeah. changes will no. be completely different. Exactly. So, and, and to be clear, there's a big, so Anum, if he had his dry room at a restaurant, he would have, he would be able to take a lot more liberties with how he's aging product and, and what methods he's implementing to do that. Whereas what we are utilizing is a formula that is not only appropriate for our, end product, but it's also something that adheres to our HACCP plan and uh, our SQF and and being a USDA facility. So there's certain things that we are not allowed to do that a restaurant could do. So for example, being able to place subprimals on wood blocks. Okay, some people claim that they achieve a better flavor profile when they use wood in their drying room. We legally can't do that in our facility. So that's a very specific example, but an example nonetheless of, of there are certain factors that we can have fun and play with, and there's others that we can't um, just as a result of being a uh, USDA facility. So another one would be, uh, what's the restaurant? Beatrice in. So she does her whiskey-aged yep. steak. So like that's something I can't do at the moment just due to our HACCP plan and being a USDA facility. So that's something that a chef can have a blast with and create a really, really unique product, uh, product that is um, very specific to, to their 
restaurant to their menu and their cooking application. So whiskey aged. Have you yeah. tried that, by the way? I have not had the opportunity. Is that I have had the opportunity to eat some snacks and drink at that establishment, and I had an excellent time. Yeah. What, is, would, what is whiskey aged? Is that back to the Beatrice and, uh Chef Angie Marr, she does a whole lot of um, like spirit aged meats. And so she'll wrap them in a cloth soaked with whiskey and just age it like oh, that. Cheese cool. cloth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she is cool. So we get her on next. Are, are people able to take meats from you and then continue the aging process on their own? Uh, technically they could. So it's not like a once it's, like it's, it's aged. Over, like it's, you age it and then it's finished. Yeah. So hypothetically, if, if a noom needed, uh, you know, eight short loins and he needed them aged to, to 30 days and then he wanted us to deliver to them, deliver it to his restaurant. And then he wanted to, uh, continue the aging process in a, in a specific way to him. Um, by all means we can do that. It's not something guys are typically doing just because it. Um, takes more time. Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole advantage to utilizing our services as a restaurant for food services that you don't have to worry about is having that storage space. Like there's a there's a I'm not saying you can't get some, you know, a a decent aged product out of a walk in cooler, but it's not the same thing Um, just due to the fact that you can't you can't manipulate your environment. That is the best environment it can be for meat because it's not going to be good for Everything your onion else. and your broccoli and your tomatoes and, and all that, all that stuff. And you also don't have to wait. And you don't have to wait. We wait for you. So, all right. So dry aged isn't the only product that you have as far as New York prime beef goes. Correct. And yeah, in fact, when we met Austin, he just walked into the bar with a bunch of sausages. Yeah. He didn't even tell us who he was. He just walked in. And he was like, Hey, can I speak to the chef? And I got out there and he was like, Hey, taste my sausages. Tell me what you think. And I was like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right, guy, it's Friday night, and I'm kind of busy right now, so I guess I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you went and cooked these sausages up at that point? Yeah, eventually, eventually, eventually we, well, I mean, we did. We just threw them in the fridge and continued with Friday night service. But eventually, we cooked them up, and we tasted them. And then he, he came back, and we it, told him what I, we thought. I politely pestered a noom. On a Friday night? He made, he, made them, he made the mistake of giving me his cell phone. So I'm like, did you eat yet? Did you eat yet? Did you eat yet? <laughs> but see, so what I was asking him before, was that was that actually part of the long con where you're like, I'm going to get this guy's attention by giving him some free food? And I think one of the things you gave me was like, um, a Wagyu truffle bratwurst or something like that. And I was, was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. I guess I'll talk to you now. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was an interesting experiment. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, when I backstory, like, my, my I learned how to make sausage with my grandfather. So, like, every Easter, our entire family would get together and make kielbasa. Um, so that I was, uh, I was my grandfather's taste tester, if you will, because I wouldn't get out of the kitchen unless people gave me food. So that was his way to... Uh, Keep me, keep me moving. Give me samples. So I fell in love making that and learning how to do that. So once I got into the meat business, I, uh, I just thought, Hmm, nobody's really tried to make Wagyu sausage. I'll give that a go. And that was a kind of a rude awakening as far as experiments are concerned, because working with pork is, is and beef, two totally different animals, no pun intended. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a different product overall because you have to manipulate that that lean to fat content in a different way than you would with with uh pork um so i think we did an experiment with with a pure grind and then a grind partial emulsion so we we played around with it a lot but uh to answer anum's question um and to go along with questions about selling and trying to get accounts as a salesperson um yeah no everyone's if everybody has a million people walking in saying, Hey, I want to sell you some stuff, but not many people walk in with something random that they've never seen or eaten before and said, Hey, I want your feedback on it. So 
I suppose uh, you could call it the long con, but it has a negative connotation <laughs> to it. I should have known. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where who can give me better feedback than somebody that is around food, cooking it and eating it and experimenting themselves with their ingredients. I can't ask for a better guinea pig than that. Um, so Anum was one of my guinea pigs amongst others. And um, that feedback was invaluable. Um, it was... Uh, but then, I mean, not to make him sound so nefarious, he also did come in and just sit at the bar and eat our food, and then he decided that maybe we would be right for yeah, some of I, his products. Perhaps. He probably judged f- us before we judged him. Yeah. I, I had a few libations as well. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, you know, to, to that point, it, you can't – I love food. I love eating it, so I don't feel appropriate trying to talk to somebody about the food that they make and trying to sell them on different protein products if I, don't, if I can't talk about the food they make. Um so at the end of the day, like some recipes are better with chicken breast than chicken thighs. But for me to come in and tell you, you should use this other product before I've even eaten the product you've created. And then who the hell am I? And why are you even going to listen to me at all? I feel like um, a lot more people need to adopt that attitude. No, no, nobody does. <laughs> no, just That's be pushy, be pushy and get, get kicked out and leave the door open for me. Exactly. Um, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, kind but I mean, that's kind of kidding. He's yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm, look, I'm not from, I didn't grow up in the meat business at all. Um, I just love eating food. Like that's probably, that's why I got into this business at the end of the day. But when I initially got into this business, it was strictly as uh, someone doing market research, um, evaluating center of the plate protein items for uh, online meal delivery companies. Like that was my introduction into this business. That's how I got introduced to the company that, that I work for. Um, so it was good for me to understand why people are picking certain protein items over others because it forced me to recognize that I was only evaluating items based upon what I wanted to eat. And back to my comment about food is a, it's a eating. It's a primal experience. It's, it's something that, that uh, takes you back, so to speak. And if you don't like eating something, you're not going to return to that. So for me, there are certain things I love eating that other people do not enjoy eating or certain types of food. Like I love eating spicy food other than cereal and ice cream. Most of what I eat is extremely spicy. That's just how I like it. And, um, but that's not for everybody. You do have some spicy ice creams out now. Yo, you can get like quick a question. Have you been to uh, ugly baby? No, but that name makes me want to go. It's uh, I believe it's a Thai restaurant, but a lot of my coworkers have gone and they said it's some of the spiciest food they've ever eaten. A lot of people who I know to eat spicy food, so they can't finish all the Yeah. And never, I, never I, I need to Thai go. Food. Really? Is it? Yeah. Is it in Manhattan? I believe it's in Brooklyn. Hmm. You should look it up. I just saw a chocolate dipped ghost peppers somewhere. That's disgusting. That's yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's a much. bad decision. Yeah, that's too yeah. much. Yeah. I uh, like spicy food too, but I'm not going anywhere near like eating a pepper. I was we just had, ghost started We had ghost peppers at yeah, I Remember Eric ate one? Yep. Uh, that was you not have, a good, that wasn't a that's good That's not run. a good move. You gotta <laughs> build up, you gotta build up that tolerance. Yeah. Like it's not, and I, and I use that word specifically tolerance because like. Those are painful. They, they get I'll sweat like a, like. Yeah. But I, yeah, I can't stop. I'm like, I need to eat. I'm sweating. It's hurting. But I'm like, let me get some more. I think a habanero is probably closest to, like, as hot as I would eat, like, intentionally. You know, like, I'm not trying to so get too much hotter than we that. Were well, that. That's the capsicum Chinese. Yeah. That, that, that's, the, that's the family? I don't know. But regardless, like, all of those, like, the ghost pepper and the uh, the Trinidad Reaper. scorpion yeah. and all those, those, those are all technically capsicum Chinese. So they, they're all branched off of that. He's not just meat. 
<laughs> Clearly. Well, peppers too. so I actually, yeah, I used to grow chili peppers back home. Go. So I, I'm, which back to the comment of store-bought versus homegrown, very, very different. Like a, yeah. like a legitimate, like a well-grown jalapeno from somebody's garden is, will light you up, whereas a store-bought one probably won't. Um, what do you, what are the differences between like a homegrown and a store bought? Why is one hotter? What what are the what's what's with why and the terroir? But uh, I don't know. I think it's you don't rush it. Like when you're growing it at home, you're just doing it for fun. You're not you're not picking anything early. So produce like protein, anything else, it's it's a business. So if you're gonna scale fast, you need to produce fast. Which is why if you have something that is all natural, organic, antibiotic free, no growth promotants, all those things that people claim the educated consumer claims they want to eat, they don't always want to pay for it because sure. it costs a lot more to raise that animal, just like with produce. It's 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 no different. So talking about that and you just said understanding why people eat or choose the proteins that they want to eat. Let's talk about different styles of meat. Like why do we why do we want Wagyu? Well, I mean, because it tastes better. <laughs> I mean, I not know everybody does. Really? It's, yeah. Well, it, look, and a lot of people do enjoy eating it, but they don't. We eat with our eyes first and then our wallets. Mm-hmm. We're all guilty of that. Well, you know, wallets aside, let's talk about. I think, well, Wagyu is a lot different because it's, the, the, it's obviously got an abundant amount of marbling. So it's going to lend itself to being more tender. Um, before you get there, what is Wagyu? It's a Japanese cattle. But now you have, but now you have American wagyu. So that's Domestic that's wagyu. it's a genetically speaking, it, it's pulling from some of the same genetics that the that the original Japanese breeds are. So there's only I think I I think there's only two breeds that you'll find here that are derived from what was in Japan, and one's the Japanese black, and one's the Japanese brown. Um, as far to my knowledge, the biggest Japanese brown herds are in Texas because those cattle do better. Uh, in the extreme heat. So uh, for the most part, most of the Japanese black herds are, are typically like Pacific Northwest, Midwest, um, and some as far north as, as places like Vermont. Um, but those are, again, niche n- niche farms. Um, they're not huge. Like Snake River, I don't know if anybody can compete with them on a marketing level. Um, they're extremely consistent, but they charge for that. You know, it's a premium product and it's got a premium price tag. And if you're looking at just Google... Wagyu on Instagram. It's the uh, insane, right insanely marbled pieces of meat. And Snake River Farms, they're they're from the Midwest, yeah. Uh, I think they I think they do a lot in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, okay. So this yeah. is actually from Nebraska. Um, so this is okay. That's so, an example of it. So again, you see abundant marbling, right? So it's significantly more than prime. Now, not all producers are doing what's called a full blood animal. So they'll do a hybrid cross. So a lot of people are doing crosses between black Angus and Japanese black, for example. So, so your Wagyu, is that domestic or is it imported? We have both. We have both. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. And when you're getting it from here, where is that really sourced from? Mostly, I think most of the domestic Wagyu, like you're saying, is coming from like Snake River Farms. Otherwise, okay. it's these small niche farms. Gotcha. Yeah, I Well, our brand, like the brands that we've purchased from, um, Anywhere from Oregon, Washington, Nebraska. So is Wagyu the top chain as far as meat prices go? 
depends on where you're getting it from. Like, what's really the most expensive cut of meat that we wind up seeing uh, in restaurants for the most part? Always the tenderloin. And I shouldn't say that. I guess from a yield perspective, the tenderloin always ends up being expensive just because the the loss is so significant. Which is what you were were saying a little bit earlier. Um, But, yeah, uh, it just, it depends. I mean, availability can cause prices to drive up. I mean, it's, uh, you know, years ago, like, everybody wanted ground chuck for burgers. But now chuck rolls, when they're sliced thin for things like shabu-shabu, they're fantastic. But that's where a lot of that product's going, or it's getting exported to Asian markets. So that cost gets driven up, and then therefore people like us necessarily uh, won't even be able to acquire it. And if we do acquire it, it will not be at a, at a price that was as favorable as it once was. And, and that leads me into something, too, uh, and I don't know how correct this is, as I've learned through time that my grandmother has told me a couple fables um, but she said that skirt steak once was like, it was not desirable. Like people weren't looking for that cut mm-hmm. whatsoever. And she said it was just, it was cheap as hell. And now she looks at the prices and she goes, how is this in such demand? Why are yeah. the prices skyrocketed so much over time? And does that go back to just demand yeah, and ex- trends? Ex- and- ex- exactly. I think it's mostly demand and trends. Like uh, lobster was one of those that was also always thought of as like a garbage cut. And then all of a sudden people love to eat lobster. But, I mean, you could talk more about the skirt steak stuff. A lot of it comes in a restaurant, too, is you look for gems where you can find a value, a price that's lower and present it in a way that's desirable because, obviously, that's Yeah, that's like educating us. your customers on a lesser-known product that you can get for a good price yeah. and transform it into something that people enjoy. So what's the difference between, like, a skirt steak and a flat meat? They're coming from different parts of the animal. And considerably different price, but sort of similar in cut and texture no not at all <laughs> well because skirt steak nope. skirt steak will still you can it will be a steak you can do that as a center of the plate protein item flat meat you're not gonna like the name alone <laughs> i challenge you to offer that to your customers oh it doesn't say, sound sexy challenge accepted also a special flat meat tonight. i mean it's and look it prepared right it eats, flat meat special it eats, next weekend. It eats incredibly well when it's when it's done right um but like there's a lot and again like it how are you cooking it? Like the cooking application is a big, big thing. Like I'm talking to barbecue guys right now. I love brisket. It's my favorite barbecue item on the planet. I will pick that over any rib, period. How do we do that? We spice rub it and we cook it low and slow for an extended period of time. And it comes out juicy and succulent and it's the, it's the best. But you'll never find that with, you know, an Asian market. You go to a Korean restaurant for Korean barbecue, they're going to do that paper thin and it's going to be hot and fast is how they're going to cook it. So taking the same muscle, but they're going to cook it in an entirely different way. So some meats you can do that with others, uh, not so much. You speak a lot about, uh, Asian markets. And I know when I was at Smokehouse dealing with you, you'd oftentimes come in with like, um, an advertisement or not an advertisement, but talking about like a pork belly that she had fabricated for an Asian market. Mm. What do you, what is the actual difference between the way, I guess our American markets and the Asian markets want their food and like, how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with those differences? So you're talking about the, the single rib belly where yeah. they leave the finger meat attached. Um, yeah, they, I, I like that. Visually, that just excites me because it's, it was different from the pork bellies I grew up eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, it's, it's extra meat on there. So again, like think about, you know, an American, American uh, eatery, like people love St. Louis ribs. But if you are a fan of the pork belly, you're going to, you don't, St. Louis ribs are a waste to you. You'd right. rather keep that meat attached to the pork belly. So 
And I guess generally speaking, that would be one way that it would be created like that. Um, the pork belly, the, the reason why I was bringing that up to you going back to when you were at Smokehouse was because um, I was presented with that, that product from our Wagyu supplier who will sell to the Japanese, Chinese, and Korean restaurants. And that was an item that he had that just ex- ate exceptionally well. Um, and it was different from the commodity pork belly. Oh, it was very so from the pork that's, belly. that's primarily why I was, I was offering that just to be different at the end of the day. Gotcha. And, uh, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't if, and that's when it comes down to dollars and cents. <laughs> so, you know, if you really like it and it's different and you enjoy it, but it's $2 more a pound, you're going to be like, no, because if you can achieve the same result and save yourself the money at the end of the day, like that's, that's the difference between profit and profit and loss. Right. So, and that, that's the side of the business that you and I both understand, but from two totally different perspectives. Absolutely. So, you know, I think about yield loss when the meat's still raw. We think about it after it's cooked. Exactly. Which is even more significant at times. Hey, do you want to continue meat school with Austin from New York prime beef? The rest of the interview will be posted in a few. In the meantime, click the follow button. So you'll catch it when it's live. Until then, let's jump over to the courtroom to figure out who's breaking the laws now. Right about now, waiting on fries quarters in full effect. Judge J residing in the case of waiting on fries against the Yelp viewers of America. Prosecuting attorneys are Anu Bandel and Justin Zato. Order, order, order. This week's Yelp review is actually a uh, customer gripe dealing with the quality of the food they re- received at their last visit. Review goes as follows. My wife ordered the gluten-free margarita pizza for $23. Oh, jeez. Do we have to keep reading it? Or is that... Unfortunately, we do. Okay. There are only a handful of other tables occupied. The food took 15 minutes to, revi- to arrive, suggesting the chef was busy whipping up something delicious for us. Sadly, the pizza was abominable. Served on a foiled dish, management admitted that it was a frozen pie. It might have been bearable if it had been fully cooked and the crust... It might have been bearable if it had been fully cooked, but the crust was still soggy and the small patches of mozzarella had barely melted. The manager knocked off a poultry $5 of the check to compensate for her disappointing lunch. We will not be returning. I mean, that, I don't know if you if the people can understand the look that I'm just staring straight at your phone right now. In staring disbelief. daggers. <laughs> staring daggers. But I mean, essentially, these people were upset with their gluten-free pizza. And while they are choosing to get gluten-free options that maybe the restaurant doesn't specialize in, if they're spending money on it, it should still be good. I, I agree. I mean, I disagree with... With gluten free free pizza, but I I can at least sympathize with the need to have gluten free, I guess, and have to do it. Can we we sit on the fence on this for a second, too? Like, all right, it's a place that doesn't specialize in gluten free options necessarily, but they're going not out of the way, but they're going to offer it to people that could need such. And typically, aren't these pieces of dough already kind of just frozen? It's not a whole pizza that's already pre-made. It's no, like, I it's can, the dough. I can understand if you're using frozen dough. Yeah, whatever. That's fine. You don't make gluten-free dough. You don't have to specialize. Yeah. And so you buy gluten-free dough for your occasional gluten-free Totally. Customers. So then what happens, though? Then they so take it out of the freezer. I, I think, though, right off the bat, what we need to do, and where the restaurant could be a fault here, is just say, as soon as they order it, do you have gluten-free dough or something for pizza? Just say, we do. It's a frozen dough that we don't make, so it's different than our normal product, but we can we can provide it for you to, true, you know. True, true. And uh, even if you do say that, I mean, obviously the food should still come out cooked. See, and that yeah. circles back to just not selling sex, though. Then, it's a frozen pizza that we don't make. 
I would say we don't make it in house. That's what I'm saying. That's just, all I would say. Just, we don't make it in house. No, no I would say I would like, understand. We, we have frozen pies that we don't make in house to yeah. provide for people with. That's allowing the customer tolerance. not to build up expectations of something that they're not actually going to receive. And then you can judge. Then they can judge you on the rest, like your sauce and your toppings. That stuff right, you should sure. still be making in house. So the issue though, Newham's essentially here though too, where it was like a soggy pizza that happens because. Well, I mean, it could happen because there was like excess moisture on the dough from being frozen and whatnot. But even still, I'm saying you could take the extra steps to make sure that this product is still going to be delicious. Agreed, for, the person for sure. I, I still wouldn't want to push it, like it from from my standpoint. Even if we're using a frozen dough or whatever, I still don't want to push an inferior product out exactly you know if i'm gonna sell you it i'm gonna make it as best as it possibly can be yeah and if so, it was still cold and soggy and unmelted cheese like that's just again, i do gripe with the 15 minute thing because that's that's an acceptable ticket time yeah I no think. that is especially if you're talking about you know, frozen dough you got to make sure it's not i think that's just anymore. an add-on that's a problem a with pizza in general 15 minutes 15 that's minutes not, bad. not long but I, I think what people start to do with these reviews is add on like things to make it yeah. sound like, like instead of just having review. one gripe, you're just like, oh, and then this, oh, and then that, oh, and then that, and it took 15 minutes. And our napkin wasn't folded and our, properly. Yeah, and this you and know? that. Like 15 minutes is okay. <laughs> what, I mean, if, what do you want me to say? What do you want? <laughs> like in a busy restaurant? Like he, she said it was busy too. Well, no, she right? said it wasn't busy. She oh, said it wasn't busy. busy. Yeah. All right, well, it's a little bit, but still 15 minutes. It's 15 minutes, not that long. Physics, right? <laughs> Agree. Uh, totally agree. Does, uh, does water soak into grits in your kitchen faster than any other? That takes me back to, uh, I forget. That was my cousin, Vinny J. I know. I don't know if you picked that up or not. I know. Long, I long time ago, long, long time ago in uh, Nero, I was working in the kitchen. Dan was working up front. This guy comes in and orders a well-done burger. This is like we're, when we were open till like 2 in the morning, like long, long time ago. And um, so the ticket goes in the kitchen. I put the burger on the grill, start cooking it. The guy goes to Dan. Maybe two or three minutes later, he goes, Yo, boss, you think you could get him to speed that up for, for me a little bit? <laughs> and Dan's answer was so fucking perfect, man. I'll never forget. He goes, yeah, man, let me just change the laws of physics. I'll get that done faster. <laughs> but, yeah, shout out to Dan for being quick with it. Want to check that voicemail? Yeah, man. We should probably check our voicemail. Just, you're never concerned about the voicemail. It must be good. So how do we feel about that? All right, That's for, pretty first thing I say topic. is I'm confused because they said when he came back, he would be on salary. So if he came back and now essentially he's on salary and he's no, mad I think about that was if he comes back after the training, which he just started. And then he said, um, now I'm back and they've oh. cut my shifts and they're all bartending shifts. Yeah. But if you're salaried, why do you care if you got your hours cut? Like salary gets paid. Well, it's like a fake salary, though. It's not like a. This you either is get your... paid or you don't get paid. If you're a salary employee, you get paid whether you work two hours or twenty hours or yeah. thirty hours or sixty hours. Same. But I think that was... would determine the rate, wouldn't it? If you only work, if you only work, uh, 
Well, no, if you're if you're salaried, then it doesn't change. Yeah, if you're salary, salary. But they're like, saying, uh, but it would be 20... reflective of that hour of the of the of the. Uh, time. Well, you would. I think you. Well, the way we would do it anyway was we would we would set um, what we would essentially want you to work every week, and then your salary is that. But you would know what it is. So if, let's use fifty thousand for an example. First thing, we're going to pay you fifty thousand to work forty hours a week. We're paying you forty thousand, fifty thousand, and then we expect you to work forty hours a week. But if you work ten, you're still getting the same paycheck as if you worked sixty. So if you go up and down, that's the benefit of having a salary and is that you you don't have consistent. to worry about yeah. you know if you're going to get hours or if you're going to be there. Am I hitting overtime? Am I not hitting overtime? You know you're going to get X amount every week, no matter what, as long as you don't get fired, which right. is based on your performance. Uh, if I'm hiring someone for a salary, I could care less how much they work as long as they're getting their job done. Unless, it's, unless obviously it's a, a position where you need a tactile to physically position be there. where you need yeah. to be there. Yeah. You know, you can't. But the only thing that's there. misleading here is that they're saying it's 16 an hour. But that was before. Right. That's why this whole thing is very confusing. You get 16 hours, you get 22 an hour, you a bartender, you a salary, you a manager. Sounds like he doesn't know what he wants. What is up with that? <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. So, and it sounds like he's having some real trouble coming to the grips that he wants to be a manager and get the title because he mentioned his title, like uh, the appropriate title that I deserve. Like you know, walk in and be like, I am the manager. Like who cares? In the in the bar and Hoo-ha. pub environment, though, we see this all the time where someone gets I'm throwing my fingers up in quotes promoted to management, and that little bait and swizzle stick that comes in is, hey, we're going to give you this title. Usually it's somebody that wants to feel entitled and needs this title. Like the, Which is the wrong person to give the title. title back. That, sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, right there is your first And mistake. with that, yeah. though, to compensate for not really paying them much more money to do a lot more work, um, they go, hey, champ, we're going to give you two bar shifts also so you can make up a little bit more money. And that's not that's not really a way to go in my eyes. If I mean, you're going just, to become a piece of the system and hits, fix things, it then, hits me the same. I mean, you, you're saying bait and bait and swizzle, which I assume is slang for bait and switch on, yeah. a, on a job. I'm a, I'm a bartender. I'm what do you I want? Knew that. I'm just kidding. I knew that, but <laughs> it's not bait and switch. It's just it's it's really not the. You can afford to pay your managers one amount of money. You can afford to pay your bartenders another amount of money. It sounds like our bartender friend here. Wants to have a title but doesn't want to be that title because management doesn't make what the bartenders make. The bartenders make more than managers because that's the weird effed up situation we're in in the restaurant where the people that work hard make less. But it's also sometimes that you can be nearsighted. Excuse me, harder. You could be nearsighted because what if what if he has an opportunity to grow but he's got to sacrifice Absolutely. a little bit of that extra cash for sure in the short term. So if you don't, if you're not willing to take that risk then maybe it's the wrong place for you. Maybe you don't believe in the business that you're in. And at the end of the day, if you're only going to do something because you have a title, then, uh, then then you've already lost the plot. Like the people that really give a shit are going to do the right thing, regardless whether they have the title or not. Right. And I, and I guess that's where you come back to the, the restaurant itself. Shouldn't even appease. If he's not looking for, if he's not happy, if you're saying like, okay, here's your management position, this is you're going to get paid X amount of money. And he's like, well, that's not enough. Instead of appeasing him, say we're going to give you a couple of bar shifts to offset that amount, then they should just say then, okay, I guess you're not ready for this position because this position is this amount of money. It could lead to X, Y, and Z, but you have to start here on the management 
scale. It's a, it's a tough jump because normally a bartender is on the higher end of the service side of it. And then if you want to make a jump to the management side of it, you, you get bumped down until you get to a GM or proprietor level. So you're, you're switching sides and you're not realizing that it's not an, an even lateral move and you have to adjust yourself. But you're just going to have to decide, are you ready to make the commitment and be on that side of it? Or are you happy just being a bartender? I think it also goes back to what we talked about before, like the difference between selling to sell and helping a business grow. Because yeah. those are those are two different for sure mentalities, right? So if your if your goal is just to knock out as many martinis as you can to get some cash to go have fun, like that's a different mentality of someone who's front of the house making sure that the tables look presentable, everything's clean, the chairs are where they're supposed to be, the flatware's clean and, and placed properly. Like it's all those little details are the different can be the difference between somebody wanting to come back to your restaurant. Manhattan is a prime example. That place is spotless. It's immacculate. <laughs> like like yeah. It's they a, they pay attention a, to every single little detail, and that shows. It shows, and it shows on your pay, or on your uh, receipt as well. Like you're paying for that sort of yeah. detail and attention to detail. But, but why are you going out? You know, you're, you're not. You're going out for the experience. Exactly. They they also said when they came back that their hours were all bartending shifts. So it could also sound like upper management was trying to knock them back down a couple pegs, and maybe the management role wasn't suitable. Maybe you know that. It just sounds like maybe a relationship where everybody wanted to get back out of the agreement and didn't know how without just saying, okay, you know what, let's, you go your way, we'll go our way. Yeah. Because, listen, I've made that mistake. We've made that mistake as a restaurant where we liked somebody, you know, we thought one thing, we moved into a situation, it wasn't exactly perfect where the money lined up with whatever they were making and what they thought they were going to making and what position we thought they were going to be. And we, we did that. We appeased, um, we appeased with them to make everybody happy. And in the long run, it was the wrong thing to do. We should have just known like, okay, this is the budget for that. It has to be, it has to be that. And it has to be someone who's committed to do it and just decided that that person wasn't right for it and, and move forward. Like, cause now we won't do it. The next person that gets hired as a manager is a manager. They're not going to be a manager and a bartender and this and that. It's different than a key, by the way. Right? A key is just there to a, lock down the place, key is, put the money in Yeah, a someone you safe. trust that in a pinch, let's say something happens, they have a key, they know all the operational procedures, they know where the money goes, mm-hmm. trust. you can trust them enough to yep. count everything and make sure it's where it's supposed to be. That's totally different. Than and there's pay compensation manager. for that as well. So it's also what, you know, what title was this, was this guy looking for? Yeah. Because a key manager is usually, is usually a bartender. Yeah. He's just that, responsible that's enough just to responsible down the place. To be able to lock up and, you know. Yeah. And that's earned. I'm going to use a really bad pun, but not burn the place down. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's go pour a couple sloop juices and uh, get your place back operational. Good talk. Let's see out there. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Also, guys, don't forget to smash that like and subscribe button because, you know, algorithms.